The following podcast is a Dear Media production. I'm Dr. Deepika Chopra, the Optimism Doctor, and this is Looking Up, a place where you can expect to find raw, transparent storytelling. Listen in to learn real science-based techniques to cultivate more optimism, resiliency, and authentic joy from artists, athletes, experts, and many more. Okay, so I'm trying something new here. Something maybe in which I'm having to step outside of my comfort zone for a bit. I'm used to being transparent and sharing on other platforms, but speaking into a mic, into this recorder, and not being able to see or hear any of you, well, it's really weird. But when I surveyed a lot of you guys, you all seemed to say that you wanted more solo episodes, either ones that are related to my own work and expertise or more personal experiences and how the podcast and the episodes are actually changing my life. I don't really know how to do or what a solo episode actually is, but I guess I'm about to find out. So instead of my usual recap of season three, today's episode is going to be about season three, but more so about me. So to start with, like all looking up guests, I'm going to look into and answer the rapid fire questions I am usually on the other side of answering. Okay, so a book that has changed the way in which I live my life. Mm, I'm going to say Kafka on the Shore by Haruki Murakami. I have read this book multiple times throughout my life. And I'm literally answering this question with this title merely because the words, the ideas, the magical thinking, and the imagination that it conjures up just brings me sheer joy. And sometimes just being brought to a state of joy in and of itself is a perfectly good example of something that is life-changing. This book was the first time I experienced that dual notion of how excited I was to turn a page and find out what would happen next, and at the very same time feel this sense of grief that one page was done and that meant the book was getting closer to the end. Gosh, what a perfect metaphor for motherhood or parenthood, if you know what I mean. Okay, people think I'm blank, but I'm really blank. Hmm. Okay, people think I'm really into exercise. And the reality is I have a really tough time getting myself motivated to move my body in any ways, except for walking, which I love, and spontaneous dance parties in my bedroom or in the kitchen, which many of you know that I really love. The last time I cried, I sort of talked about this one on the very first episode of season one of the Looking Up podcast with my guest, Kelly McGonigal, who is a stress researcher and a movement coach at Stanford. Side note, definitely go back and listen to that one if you haven't. It's fascinating. We talk all about how to actually make stress. Yes, that horrible thing we all experience, our friend. Anyways, I shared that, well, I have always been a crier, a feeler, an emotional and sensitive being, When I watched Romeo and Juliet in the theater at 13 years old, the epic Baz Luhrmann one, well, I cried, but not just like a small cry. It lasted multiple days, and let's just say I couldn't even go to school for a couple of those days. And then don't even get me started on seeing the Titanic in the theaters a year later. And even some of those Lifetime movies that we all sort of just watched, right? Or maybe it was just me. I'm hoping it wasn't just me. Weddings, commercials, injustices, the happiest moments or the saddest, beautiful music, 
a piece of art, the wind, an overcast day. I'm from LA, so we don't get those that often. Anytime I was just moved in some way, I sort of just cried. Well, until I had kids. I think I've sort of shielded myself from or placed really intentional boundaries around when and where and in what capacity I could allow myself to really go there. Merely because the amount of energy it takes to be a parent and show up every minute of every day is no joke. And sometimes I just know to look away from whatever it is that I know will take me to that very feeling place. I'm not saying that that's good or bad, but just that it's interesting and has really been about survival for me. So having said that, actually, surprisingly, I think it's been a number of weeks since I've cried. I know the last time I cried, though, it was definitely out of exhaustion and frustration, something I know we are all going through these days. Okay, three things that have brought me joy today. Hmm. My three-month-old son, Dio, giggling. It's really the cutest, sweetest sound and sight that I have ever seen. Getting to take a morning walk, even though I love walking and that's the kind of movement that I really enjoy the most and that I can do, I actually don't get to do it as often as I want to. And I know that that's more so about me prioritizing my time better. But I did get to take a morning walk and that made me really happy. And the last thing is hmm, I made a new friend today. And I think as we get older, it's tough to meet new people and genuinely make friends, not about networking or about what you can get or not get or how you can collaborate, but just actually making friends. This was like so much easier when we were in school. There was sort of this built-in cohort of people that you became friends with. For some people that work at an office with a bunch of people, which I know is not the case right now, but maybe that was an easier way to make friends. But having your own business and being an adult, it's kind of tough to make new friends and to meet people. And then especially during COVID times. But today I made a new friend and that was really cool. It makes me happy. Oh, wait, I forgot one of the rapid fire questions. Describe yourself as a teenager during the high school years in three words. Okay. Hmm. Rebellious, but like in the most tame way. Um, Angsty, but in a really smiley way. And super outgoing. I think I've always sort of been a walking contradiction. And I have definitely kept that up. I was really into grunge and I was super emotional. I loved writing and singing to Garbage, Jewel, Nirvana, and Fiona Apple in my bedroom. And I was drawn to sort of darker, highly emotional content, but I was really happy and felt secure. I was rebellious, but with so much restraint. I mean, I would sneak out of the house, but I'd never go farther than my own driveway, which I know sounds really lame. Um, I'm definitely now super type A, but actually highly disorganized. So I guess we can't all just fit into perfect boxes. And really what it comes down to is that we are unique and nuanced. And that's really the fun of getting to know each other, isn't it? Okay. So I'm picking one episode from this season that made a huge impact on me. And I'm going to tell you why. Actually, I'm going to pick two episodes. So the first one is episode five, titled Radical Transparency and Relationship Resiliency with Sophie and Adi Jaffe. 
This episode was one that I got a lot of feedback about. It's the kind of episode that actually makes you rethink core beliefs and assumptions about the way you think people are and how relationships really work. And while that's powerful, there are so many things that were said and shared in this episode that were triggering, motivating, jaw-dropping, and also without being too glib, but like life-changing for me. I mean, it made me think about my own relationships. Could I work through an affair? Multiple affairs, sex addiction, lies. I mean, I've always assumed the answer to that would be a big no. I still don't think I've changed my mind about that. But then I listened to Sophie and Adi's story. If you haven't heard this episode, sorry if I'm spoiling it, but I would totally recommend taking a full listen to it. I mean, this is a young couple who has gone through major betrayal and multiple indiscretions, lies, addiction, the works, but then actually and authentically rebuilt their entire relationship. They did the hard work. They're still doing the hard work. And all of this, the good, the bad, the ugly, all while raising three kids. My podcast assistant called me after listening to the first edit of this episode. And she said, maybe we should take out the part where Sophie says she wouldn't quote unquote, allow Adi to talk to any other girls while they were doing the initial work digging past the betrayal. How she would have to approve of who he spent time with or be there herself. And maybe she sounded controlling. And I was like, are you kidding me? This is why so many of us can relate to someone like Sophie. She tells it like it is and she shares her reactions and experiences despite how they may appear. And the truth is, I would do that. I think I would need to go there to that level of intensity after that level of betrayal if it was something that we would be working through. Something about that moment when she shared that seemed so human to me, so raw and so relatable. And Adi, his work, his radical transparency after, well, being the exact opposite. Someone who was too afraid to tell the truth and hid behind elaborate lies and was working through a real serious sex addiction. His arc and his rebuild I mean, the whole saying, once a cheater, always a cheater. Well, I'm in the business of change. I'm literally in the business of being invested really deeply in the idea that people can change and they do change. Yet I know at some point or another, I have definitely held that very belief of once a cheater, always a cheater. And this episode, well, it changes that. And I know it has changed that for a lot of people. But also Sophie's very anchored and security and surety that Adi had it in him and their relationship could withstand the struggle and knowing so deeply, despite all the shit they went through, that the life they both knew so deeply they could and would have together was beyond worth fighting for. And I don't really know if I've ever felt that level of conviction before. And that kind of shook me up a lot. So the very last episode of season three this past one from last week, was with Holocaust survivor Dr. Edith Eager. This episode has actually changed my life for all the obvious reasons. But it's not every day you come across someone and their experience through life that is the most potent and intense example of everything you have studied and strive for. I've said it before, but Dr. Eager is resiliency. Dr. Eager is optimism. I don't even know how to put it better than that. At 16, an ordinary teen experiencing love for the first time and finding her passion in ballet, she was ripped from her family and sent to Auschwitz. 
forced to dance for who they called the angel of death himself, rewarded at times with a small loaf of bread, who she refers to as her girls, the other prisoners, and who every single day when she was sent to the shower had no idea if water would come out of the faucet above her or gas. A witness of the most horrendous trauma a human can go through or see. And even then, she thought of tomorrow. And she thought of tomorrow with excitement and hope. She was not in denial. She was acutely aware of what was happening to her and around her. But at the same time, she never felt like a prisoner. She actually saw her oppressors as the prisoners. I have a sister who's in a really bad relationship. It's deeply sad and over the many years, something I have no control over. And I think that's what kills me the most. It's that I have all the resources in the world, professionally speaking even, to help someone like her, but I can't. My hands are tied. After all the work I've done with clients, patients, the books I've read, the research I have studied, and the concept of forgiveness that I'm so familiar with, I have not been able to even scratch the surface of forgiving the man my sister unfortunately married. And Dr. Eager, speaking to her, listening to her, and not that anything in my world even remotely compares to what her world has been like, but it has opened a door that I didn't even fully understand was closed. I personally don't know where to begin with this door or what it's all about, but I promise to keep you posted. The most incredible thing about the work that I get to do, whether working with clients, helping to facilitate breakthroughs, teaching workshops on the science behind what helps us all live more optimally, or interviewing incredible people on this podcast on what connects us all together and what makes us unique and nuanced, it's really about getting to know each other intimately and authentically. When people used to ask me in my early 20s what I was most interested in, I'd always just say humans, and it would make people sort of stop and laugh. But it's true. I'm just so fascinated by humans aren't you? And that's really what's looking up for me. What's looking up for you? As always, I hope you take this next week to catch up on any of the looking up episodes you missed out on. And if you're a new listener, hi. Maybe you should go back to season one and start from the very beginning. Or if you've been listening to this podcast so far, taking the time to re-listen to an episode that you really resonated with. As for new episodes, I am so excited to share that season four of Looking Up will be coming out on March 1st. Thanks so much for listening to Looking Up. For more optimistic content, follow me at Dr. Deepika Chopra. For more info on how to get your very own Things Are Looking Up optimism deck of cards, head to thingsarelookingup.co. If you like what you hear and you want to support the show, please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Our theme music is Me and Shaw Day by Tommy, courtesy of Terrible Records. I'm your host, Dr. Deepika Chopra, and I'll see you next Monday for your weekly dose of optimism.